0: It is definitely our intent that when you come to the vine that you feel like you've been seen and you've been heard and you've been greeted. So thank you for greeting each other in that, in that couple of minutes there. So this last week, I had one of those full circle moments. Um, I was walking through the mall with one of my daughters, and, and as it happened— I had to pause and think, wow, to myself. As many of you know, I grew up in Guinea, West Africa. My parents were missionaries uh, there. And my dad is a linguist. And he loves all things language, including language learning. And he's an extrovert. And so he loves talking to new people. And so whenever I would travel with my dad and we would go places that spoke different languages, he would immediately uh, dive into language learning. And every conversation he had, he wanted to learn this a word for this or a word for that. And then he would try to remember these words and he would try to use them in conversation. And if you've ever tried to learn a language that's not your native language, you always you know that you always mess up. <laughs> you always say things incorrectly. That's just part of the process. And as an adult, I can really appreciate now how my dad just threw himself into language learning as a teenager, traveling with him. I remember conversation after conversations like, dad, can you just, can you just stop? <laughs> You're, you're, this is so embarrassing. Like, I can't believe you would just talk to that stranger. And like, as a teen, I was mortified. As an adult, I can now appreciate um, all those interactions. Well, this, afterno- uh, this, this last week, I was walking through the mall with one of my daughters. And evidently, I was humming uh, just softly to myself. Evidently, I was having a good day. You know, the joy was just bubbling out. And, I, and she said, Mom, I need you to stop. And I said, what? I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. And so I kept humming, and she was like, Mom, if you start singing right now, I am going to walk away from you and pretend that I don't know you. <laughs> so, of course, I, it felt a little bit like a dare. Um, and so I considered it. Not that I would ever just, like, start singing really loudly at the mall, but that day I almost did, um good parenting decision I chose not to embarrass my my child further <laughs> but I've been on both sides of that coin and that's I was like wow that's really a full circle moment I've been the one embarrassed and the one. That someone was embarrassed about. And each time I needed to decide how I was going to engage, right? And life is full of those moments where we are confronted with something or we we, we come across something and we have to decide how we're going to engage. Uh, Good news, I feel like I engaged better um, as an adult, as a 41-year-old than I did as a, a teenager, well today we're going to continue in John 13. And uh in John 13 Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet and it was uh, a demonstration a powerful demonstration of humility and service. He he has called uh his disciples Jesus called his disciples to be servants and to serve each other. So as we read last week the end of that section in verse 17 Jesus said now that you know these things You will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know that this is how I am committed to serving you, and now that you know that I am calling you to serve each other in these ways, you will be blessed if you do them. And that's what we're going to pick up uh, today, and we're going to read two sections, and this night is going to be full of surprises, of twists and turns for the disciples. We'll, we'll continue reading in John 13, verse 18, and this is Jesus speaking. I am not referring to all of you when he says, you will be blessed if you do th- these things. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill Uh, This passage of scripture, He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. What a surprising turn of events. So first, they're eating this Passover meal. They're, eat, they're, they're re- reclined at the table, sharing a meal together. This is Jesus and his closest disciples. And then Jesus starts washing the disciples' feet and talking about service and taking care of each other. And then he tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. He uses scripture. He quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. John, the author, describes Jesus as troubled in spirit. I really, I wish I could see, have been there and see what that looked like. But clearly, Jesus was emotionally troubled distraught, was visibly troubled that this was happening. And so he tells them right off the bat why he's telling them that one of them will betray him. He says, so that they will believe that he is who he says he is. So that I'm telling you now before it all goes down, so that you know when all this happens, You'll be able to remember what I said, and you'll realize that I knew what was happening. The disciples naturally want to know who. Who is it? And Jesus chooses to dip bread into a dish, which was a common practice, and hands it to Judas, indicating that Judas was the one who would betray him. Now, this is a really interesting way to indicate the betrayer. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed, but my hunch is, if you have, your first inclination isn't to give the person a meal. (laughs) Prepare some food for them and go take it to them, right? Sharing food with each other is an act of friendship. And Jesus confronts Judas by giving him food. Much more common would be be yelling at a person or making accusation or, or speaking in demeaning ways, accusatory ways, expressing anger. Instead, Jesus chooses to give Judas food, an act of friendship. And then verse 27, some interesting language there. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Judas chose to betray Jesus on his own free will. He was already down this path. He is already described as as a thief um, in other places. And yet this betrayal was a part of something bigger. This betrayal was a part of a spiritual battle being waged between God and Satan. A spiritual battle between good and evil. And Judas chose a side and Satan was more than happy to use him. This was one of those defining moments in Judas's life. And then Jesus looks at him. And again, I imagine, I I wonder, what, what was Jesus' tone as he said this? But he looks at him and he says, What you're about to do, do quickly. A troubled Jesus. A Jesus that is distraught and in anguish. What you're about to do, just do it quickly on the cusp of a public execution, I can only imagine Jesus' feelings here. The author explains that the other disciples didn't understand the gravity of the situation. They they heard the words that Judas would betray Jesus, but they didn't realize what was going on and how it would happen. And then we're going to read the next little section, because this also happens um, in that same evening. The washing of the feet. Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. Judas gets up and leaves. And then verse 31. When he was gone, when Judas had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It's like another bombshell just dropped, you know, in this this crazy evening, this crazy dinner. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus starts off after Judas left talking about, uh, the son of man and he calls himself the son of man and the son of man will be glorified. And the son of man is a title from, from Daniel seven. It, interestingly enough, it was one of Jesus' favorite titles that he called himself the most. Um, the son of man. And it's this per, a messianic prophecy of the forever king who would finally make things right from Daniel chapter seven and verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was the one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so the son of man, when people talked about this figure who would come, it was all glory and power and authority. I mean, to be glorified is to be praised, to be exalted, to be revered, to be regarded with honor. It's this wonderful thing, right? And yet the things that Jesus is predicting here don't feel very wonderful in that moment, because Jesus will be glorified in his suffering. Jesus was glorified in the shame and in the humiliation of the cross. He was not the king they expected. (laughs) He was and is the Son of Man. But it was very different than what they were expecting. And it was God's love that motivated Jesus uh, God's love that motivated such a, a selfless sacrifice that would bring about forgiveness and redeem people and bring new life. And so Jesus is telling them that he's going away and they cannot follow him. And so Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow? I will lay down my life for you. And we love Peter. We talk a lot about Peter. Peter's very impulsive and he's strong-willed and he's a leader and he's right up front. And and I believe him. He is ready to lay down his life for Jesus in this moment. And then Jesus predicts a second betrayal. He says, Yeah, well, you will disown me three times before the rooster crows. And the author doesn't record Peter's immediate reaction. Again, I wonder. I wish. We, I wish we had more. <laughs> I wonder what Peter's immediate reaction was. But the very next words that that we'll we'll read next week is Jesus saying, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." <laughs> so, like this, really caused a stir. Peter had no intention of denying Jesus, no intention of disowning Jesus or betraying him in any way. In fact, when Jesus is arrested, it's Peter who will pull out a sword and start fighting, ready to protect Jesus and lay down his life fighting for Jesus. But Peter was not prepared to surrender and sacrifice. He was prepared to die fighting, but that's not what Jesus was doing here and so as Jesus is arrested and taken to the high priest uh, Peter will follow Jesus and stand in the courts and people will recognize him and, and ask him are you with with Jesus and he will deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows and I can't really I I wish if As I'm I'm thinking about this story, as I'm imagining it, if I put myself in Peter's place, I wish I can say confidently, I would have made a different choice. (laughs) I'm not sure I can say that. You see, Jesus was opposed by society's power, those in power opposed Jesus. And by society's standards, Jesus was powerless in that moment, they held all the power. Right as to what would happen next by society's standards, and it was it it would it would only only by divine intervention could Jesus win there, right? And for Peter to align himself with Jesus at that moment, it would cost him his life unless there was some divine intervention. And Jesus, the divine in human form, understood what was at stake, and he was willing to submit himself to an unjust death in order to bring about life. Peter, at this moment, was not. Side note, a little tangent just because it's, it's interesting, sad, and also very interesting, um, that during the reign of Emperor Nero, there was a, a great big fire that... Uh, burned much of Rome. And in fact, historians, uh, some historians think that Nero himself started the fire so that he could rebuild Rome the way he wanted. And then it got out of hand and, and ravaged Rome. And so Emperor Nero blamed Christians for setting the fire. And it started this great persecution of Christians. And many Christians were killed during that time, including Peter. And historians write that as he was sentenced to be crucified, he requested that he'd be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to die in the same way as Jesus died. Peter would be confronted with one of those like, powerful moments where he had to make a choice later in life, and he would not deny Jesus then. So let's zoom out. I mean, this is quite the heavy text, right? <laughs> As I was preparing this and, and Micah was asking me, how's it going? I was like, well, there's not a lot of jokes in this one. <laughs> I mean, it's a heavy text. It's about betrayal. It's about hurt and harm. There's drama. There's twists and turns. In this night when friends are gathered sharing the meal, a Passover meal, Jesus washes their feet. This this just... uh Unprecedented um, way to serve them, and ask them to serve each other, and then he predicts these two betrayals. One is premeditated; it's calculated; it's thought out; it's a conscious decision. And then another betrayal that's spontaneous; it's impulsive; it's it's not premeditated, but it will be um, it will be out of fear. And out of self preservation. And um, since we're talking about denying Jesus, I mean, the other disciples also fled the scene when Jesus was arrested. I want to recognize that betrayal is a hard topic. Uh, to talk about, and this may be kind of triggering for some uh, here today. There's lots of different kinds of betrayal and large and small and all different types of relationship, and navigating those can be really hard and really, really challenging Um, you know, you read books that really stand out to you. And I read this book a few years ago called The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. Um, powerful, powerful book about going through the process of forgiveness. Don't read it if you want some lighthearted reading, okay? (laughs) Um, it's some powerful stuff. At the, towards the end of his book, he talks about um, once you've gone through the process of forgiving, uh, deciding whether you, you're going to renew the relationship or release the relationship. And can I just say now that the, in, in both those cases, we can love like Jesus. Maybe you've been through some really hard betrayals and they're messy uh, maybe you've been the one betrayed. Maybe you've been the one doing the betraying. I want to identify with Jesus in this story as I read this story. Um, as the one who was betrayed, right? That's the one who I want to resonate with the most in this story. And, and yeah, there's small betrayals in, in, my, in my past uh, from friendships. But honestly, if I, if I really take a good look at this passage— um, I have to acknowledge that I resonate most with Peter. Because if I ask myself, how many times have I acted out of fear and self preservation? I, I don't think I could count how many times I've acted out of fear and self preservation as Peter did. And I want you to know I am a committed Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I love God. I experience the Holy Spirit. And also, I am a sinner. And I have missed the mark over and over, regularly choosing to either ignore or disregard or just not listen to God as God speaks. And so as I read these passages, what strikes me most is Jesus's loving response in the midst of betrayal. How does Jesus act? How does he call the disciples to act in the midst of betrayal? There is dialogue, honest dialogue. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't shy away from the truth. He tells it like it is, and he gives instruction. And this is where I want us to really focus in on. What is the instruction that Jesus gives? Verse 34 again, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, here's the new commandment that I give you. Love one another, and this is what will mark you as Jesus' followers. Can you live it out? Even in situations as difficult as the one Jesus was navigating in that that moment. Now, interestingly enough, the command to love itself isn't new. Um, In fact, the the Israelites would recite the Shema every day, often multiple times a day, and that's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then in Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And as Jesus is is talking about the law and the prophets, he will say that if you want us to just sum them all up, you need to love God and love your neighbor. So the command to love is not Really new. But there is something that's really new that Jesus says. The newness of this command is that the disciples are to love as Jesus loved. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the standard of our love, the ideal, the goal, what we're trying to pursue, what we we keep trying to pursue— is to love like Jesus. And and Jesus is a new era, a new covenant, a new chapter in the story. And the way Jesus loves people, his life and in his death and in his resurrection, that changes everything. That changes how we are to love people. As followers of Jesus, we are to imitate and to live out the love Jesus has shown us. And so in the middle of these betrayals, Jesus was able to show agape love, self-giving love, a love that looks out for the well-being of the other in the middle of that, washing the feet of those who would deny him, who would abandon him, eating with the one who would betray him to his death. So today, friends, we are invited to look to Jesus the standard of our love. I mean, there's so many voices in the world, right? So many people telling us this, this is how you should live, <laughs> this is what it looks like. And then if this happens, it's okay if you do this. Like, there's so many people telling us how to live. The standard for our lives should be the love of Jesus. And we are to imitate how Jesus. Loves. As we consider Judas's and Peter's betrayals, we are invited to recognize and to acknowledge that we too have fallen short, uh, that we have not always lived up to the standard of Jesus's love. We're invited to confess and to repent and to wholeheartedly commit to living out Jesus' love. My prayer for myself and for all of us is that, that Jesus would give us the grace to love those who have harmed us. I think of that song, that the last song that, that Giovanna was singing about. Um, Blessed are those who experience violence and, and yet have the strength to love their enemies, right? May we have the grace to love those who have harmed us. And may we have the grace to confess and repent and love those whom we have harmed. So we're going to end today by taking communion together. And uh, I'll, I'll give some instructions for that in just a minute. But I want to read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. until he comes. Communion is a practice that Jesus Jesus um, started for the church just as a simple reminder. Remember Jesus' death. Remember Jesus' resurrection. The bread, the cracker represents his body. The juice, his blood. And so as we... Finish off by sharing communion together. What I'd like us to do is, in a moment, um, we'll we'll take the the coverings off of the communion and invite anyone who wants to to go and grab the bread and the juice, and then come back to your seats and just hold the bread and the juice together. And then I will read, and you'll be invited if you want to 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 sh- uh, read aloud a prayer of confession, and then we'll take communion together. And uh this is by no means is mandatory. <laughs> it's totally optional. But I want you to know that all, all ages and all walks of life are invited to t- sharing communion if you would like to take communion and remember Jesus's death in this way.